everybody and welcome to Player 456, a Squid Game podcast. My name is Jack Shaw and joining me is my friend and co-host, Colin McMillan. How are you? Hi Jack, I am good, thank you. And um, yeah, very much looking forward to this new venture. We've done many podcasts together over the years, um, but this is us kind of jumping right in on something right when it's hot, so to speak. Um, I watched this show and I absolutely adored it. And for as long as I can remember, Jack, I've been suggesting shows, podcasts, music, just basic life things to you and asking you to watch them because you'll enjoy them. And you usually don't listen to me or don't have time. I like to think it's just you don't have time. But this one you did watch and it completely captivated you. And I've never been happier. Yes, it is a time issue, Colin. I'm busy. But you pushed this so much over a couple of weeks, I thought, right, okay, I'll give it a go. And within probably about 10 minutes, I had texted you and said, right, I am hooked. I am absolutely hooked. And watched it in one sitting, which we are going to presume that everybody listening to this has already done. Basically, this isn't a watch-along pod. We will jump about time-wise. Basically, we may mention things that happen in future episodes. But like everybody, Colin, I think once you've watched and engaged with it, you're going to be watching it within a couple of days if you've got that down. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see it as something that you you watch on a more regular, say, network schedule. Um, like, oh, it's Friday night, let's watch a Squid Game. I, I just don't think you can do that with this show. I think, it, like I said to you, it captivated you. I think it, it does, it's very alluring to the viewer and that you just want to watch it. It's exciting, it's got a story, it's got great characters, and it's got great vivid colours and set design that I do think just sucks you in and makes you want to keep watching it. So yeah, I'd be shocked if there was many people that have started it and not cracked on and ran their way through the nine episodes. And it is only nine episodes, it's not like a, a network thing with 24 episodes, it's a bit of a slog to get through. It's, it's nine tight quality things. And I imagine most people have seen them. So yeah, I know we're going to focus on episode one today and usually an episode per, per show. Um, we will probably allude to things that happen further down the line if we think things in that episode link into them and stuff. So that's your spoiler warning, folks. Why, I suppose, should people that don't know us keep listening, mate? Because there are lots of different television podcasts out there. There are one or two other Squid Game podcast, but why us? Uh, well, firstly, we're Scottish, so our reading out the names of the characters will be hilarious. Other than that, we—I I, I think the show, it's the show has become a bit of a phenomenon. It's, it's became more than a TV show. It's the most watched thing in the history of Netflix by quite some doing. Bridget, Bridgerton had eighty odd million people watching it, and that was the biggest thing ever on Netflix until this came along. With at time of recording, I believe one hundred and twelve or one hundred and twenty-two million views. Um, so this is almost an everyman TV show. Everybody that's watching it, from all walks of life, mums, dads, children, teenagers, it's appealing to everybody. So I don't think you need a so-called TV critic or expert or somebody with a degree in television journalism to talk you through it, um, because everybody's into it. It's not a specialist thing, I don't think. So give us a go. If you don't like it, don't listen. That's, that's obviously your prerogative, but... Um, we've done stuff like this before on various other networks and various other shows and we quite enjoy it, we've always had decent feedback and we're excited about doing it so join us, have a listen and see what you think Episode 1 is titled Red Light, Green Light, Colin 
and we meet the main man in it, an actor called Lee Chung Chi, who stars his song Ji Hoon as a child. This black and white sequence, mate, right at the beginning, kind of grabs you, and then once you watch the full show, I went back and watched the first episode again before recording this. That first 90 seconds, two minutes, there's so much stuff going on that indicates what is coming. Lots of foreshadowing here, basically, is what I'm trying to get at, and it's done really well. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of that throughout the show um, to various different levels, but I do like programmes that do start in this vein and give you a little bit of story building in quick succession to give you an idea of who people are and why they're there and what, what, what motivates them. And it does this particularly well because... I mean, we're going to talk about this character in a fair bit of detail in the next 10 minutes or so, but there's many reasons that you might not like this character, but the reasons to like him tend to be stronger and outweigh them for you, and the show does a great way of bringing that to life. And that all starts from the, from the start with these flashbacks. Yeah, the guy was pretty lucky to like, get a second chance because he's obviously South Korean and they're very law-abiding over there, but he was actually charged with drink driving back in 1999 and I always thought maybe it's a common misconception that if you had some sort of criminal record or anything like that you were basically going to struggle as a an actor or a model they would sort of look at you and think right we're not going to hire you but Lee Chung Chi managed to get the, the role he's a former model I think we might speak about some of the photos that we see and stuff like that, but we will get there. I mean, the black and white sequence, like I say, is it really, it just, there's violence involved, you know, there's, there's, there's packing teams, which is something yeah. that's key. If there's one phrase that I think really sort of <laughs> sums up the whole nine episodes, and it's, leave the squid's head, you die. And that's about 90 seconds into the show, while playing a children's game. Now, playing children's games as a youngster, that would be one of the things that would be part of the game, would be if you fail, you die, or whatever. Any games like Squid Game that you played at school, Colin, that jumped to mind? I can't think of anything with the same sort of premise as like a Squid Game, but I do remember games where the idea was you die. Things like Freeze Tag, and if you caught, you had to drop down dead and that sort of stuff, and... We used to play two man hunt where everybody scattered and two guys ran about and tried to chase you. And the idea was that if they found you, they could beat you up. So, not quite dying, but it's close. But the actual intricate rules of the squid head, we didn't have anything quite like that. What about you? Yeah, we had a, a sort of bunker in our playground in primary school. So, when we were about eight, nine, ten years of age, about the same age as these children. There was a bunker, and at the back of the bunker there was a fence. So one team would go on the bunker, and they would hold on to the, the fence, basically, on, and they were on the defence, and the attackers would be just on the floor, and we would have to hop, which is a rule in Squid Game as well, if you're an attacker, we would have to hop and try to pull them off the bunker, and if they fell off the bunker, basically they died. So we did have a game that was similar, I suppose, Hopscotch, if you remember that, that was maybe more of a a gully game, let's call it. But there wasn't a lot of boys doing hopscotch, but we used to play every now and again. If you went outside the lines, you didn't die, but you lost a life. It seems a very common thing in kids' games is to lose lives or die, so it very much sets up well, mate, yeah. And like I said, I'm already captivated. 
so after that flashback, Jack, uh, we get to see a little bit more of who he is now and learn about all the details that make him up. So he, li- he lives with his ageing mother and he basically borrows, stroke steals her ATM card in order to withdraw money that he uses to do betting, um, which looks like quite a seedy betting that he uses, the, the kind of bookies. I'm not sure if it's a, a mainstream betting or how easy it is to do that there. He's betting anyway and using his, his old mother's money to, to do that, which isn't the best character trait, is it? But it's not, and something else I noticed as well, that maybe just a Korean-type acting vibe. Did you feel there was any sort of overacting here when we first meet him as an adult? This sort of big baby attitude, this oh-mom-type attitude that he seems to have towards his mother as a, a like a man? Yeah, there, there, there was vibes of that that I got, but I also did sort of give him a little bit of credit in that I watched episode one dubbed and then watched all the rest um, with the subtitles. So I didn't appreciate or I wasn't, I gave him a little bit of credit in the bank in terms of I didn't know how much of that coming across was via the dubbing rather than the actual writing and how the character was meant to be. But you're right, for a for a man of his age, he was acting a little childish and big goofy expressions and all that sort of stuff that he was making quite often. Um, but the voice in particular and what he was saying, I did kind of blame a little bit of that on the dubbing. Yes, because when you turn it on on Netflix at first, it is dubbed right away. And it was okay for the, the very first scene that we just spoke about with the children. I thought, right, okay, that's fine. But as soon as I got to his mother's house, I changed it to subtitles. I couldn't I couldn't get behind the dubbed version of it at all. Although saying that, when I watched this episode back, I watched it dubbed. The only reason I did that was so I could take notes while watching it, basically. It's the only reason I done it. Um I think the only way to watch it is subtitled. I think that also draws you in as I as we don't speak Korean. It makes you concentrate more, I think. I've always found that about subtitled things anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a big fan of Gomorrah, uh, the Italian drama. And one of the things I like about it is that it's brilliant. But it's also the fact that the fact that it's subtitled and you have to read it means that you do give a show or a movie or anything that's not in English far more attention because you have to keep your eyes on the screen, you have to stay engaged, and your eyes can't wander to your phone which I think everybody is guilty of these days. You're, you're double-screening all the time. And with stuff like this, you just can't do that. And I think it's all the better for it. Yes, because I did send you a message saying, I'll be back in a few hours, basically, because there was no way I was going to be texting you back and forth, although I was. I did send one or two in between episodes when I was excited about things. He tries to withdraw this money, mate, and he, his mother's changed the pin code, basically. He eventually gets... Guesses the pin code basically zero six zero eight, which is the horses numbers that we'll get to in a minute as well. Now, because I'd read a little bit about not the the whole series, but I just read about it being a a great show. When numbers come into shows this early, I kind of start looking out for them a little bit. We'll maybe get to the numbers and how important or unimportant they may be later on. But again, is this something that, that you noticed early on, the whole sort of numbers and having difficulties numbers or anything along those lines, or is it just me because of Lost, I think, I'll be honest, 
that's exactly why it is. 48, 15, 16, 23, 42, lost. And it's those numbers, mate, yeah. Um, though, I mean, lost in particular, just the, the things they did with those numbers were just ridiculous over the six seasons or so. And I suppose it does, if you're a bit, if you're right into that, then you will look for that in other things. But, I mean, some of the things that we've discovered looking into this and noticed watching it, it's given Lost a wee bit of a run for its money so far in their use of numbers and the deeper meanings and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, the numbers are important and I think you're quite right to kind of look out for them. Yeah, you mentioned the bookies here. I think it seems like a legal place. It's quite a, an open place. It's quite busy. I think the scenes here are quite well directed. There's a sort of a sense of degenerism, if that's even a word. Like, a lot of the, it's all guys, basically, there. It's panicked it's there's lots and lots going on and I think the director's sort of done well they're creating this sort of really stressful atmosphere with everybody shouting and bawling people being happy at one point again this duality where somebody's so so happy whereas everybody's so so sad mm, absolutely so again that that comes that runs through the whole season as well just this duality of polar opposites because a lot of the time you're either dead or alive. <laughs> like that, that's the most that's, polar opposite thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the big thing I got from these scenes in the bookies was that as, as well as they were shot and they did look great, it made me so, so grateful for my betting apps on my phone, <laughs> not having to go to such places and deal with that sort of just manic craziness and people just running about daft and all that goes with it. It's I, I, I quite like the occasional bet, and but I, I think if my only option was to go to a place like that, I'd very quickly just chuck the gambling, I think. Yeah, you would, I think. Now, like I says, his horses come in 06 and 08. He puts that on because it's his daughter's birthday. His mum had to remind him about that. Again, that's not a great personality trait to have, but he, there's layers to this guy and they're coming across really quite quickly because he's so excited when he phones his daughter and I think it's quite cute and nice the way that he's so excited that he can give his daughter more than fried chicken basically and this sort of purity and fatherly love I suppose is a layer that again just drags you in and makes you feel like this guy's a decent guy. Yeah it's your first indicator that he's not an absolute degenerate and it's the fact that as soon as something seems to be going up for him and he's getting a good result in something his first thought isn't alcohol, isn't drugs, isn't women, it's what can I do with my daughter here and that is just the first thing they do to bring you or tune you into this guy and make you aware of that he's one of the good guys. He also has a temper though, because when he goes to place the bet and the guy's pestering him, he's got a fiery side as well, which you're obviously going to need. You're going to have to be able to stick up for yourself and and stand up to the trials and tribulations that are coming. So again, there's many layers to the, the this guy, Ji Hoon, and I'm I'm getting to like him. But at the same time, realising that he has issues. He does have issues and he does have a temper, but does he, did he have a temper at 18? Did he have a temper at 12? Did he have a temper at 25? Or did his current life and all the shit that's happened to him, has that kind of developed that temper? Do you know what I mean? And that sort of gives you, it, it builds layers to that character, but it also gives you sort of justification, I suppose, for some of the stuff. And how he's so adamant about this bet and what this bet can do for him. He just doesn't want MD else annoying him and that's why the temper comes out. Um, but yeah, he's he's not a perfect character. He's not an anti-hero. He's somewhere in between. He is, yeah, and I think that's why, like, you're so engaged with him. He wins, um, about two and a half thousand pounds, and on his bet for a 
a double or whatever uh, when you pick the horses that come in a row yeah. and he gets a big chunk of money and he leaves a wee tip which is nice he does, yes. Yeah. Not something I've ever done in the bookies. Um, the money he wins, and I'm going, I'm going to beg your pardon in advance because I, I don't know what the local currency is called. One. One. Okay, I do know now. Um, he he wins four million five hundred and sixty thousand one. Oh, so he does, man. Fucking yeah. hell. Yeah. So he take take away all those zeros, and what he's got is four five six. So I never even noticed that one, man. And, and this is me that was saying I was looking out for numbers, <laughs> but I had it down as just um, I just put four and a half million. Korean won. Yeah, but £2,500, so it's a decent bet. That's a good return. Yeah, he leaves the girl 10000 won, which I think is about £5. So he leaves a five or tip out of that. Mm, okay, <laughs> maybe not so generous. Not not so generous, but it's still something. This is when things, you, you start to realise he's a degenerate because there's gangsters chasing him here for a wee bit, Colin, and these thugs see him when he's on the phone to his daughter. He runs away. He runs into a girl here. He helps her, but even though he's in danger, again, just building character, I think. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, they're just they're doing a really, really great job of letting you know what this character's made up of and who he is and what he is. And this is another small example of it. It's it's really good character building. Yeah, I think his attitude to women in general is very much modern day. Uh, some of the conversations he has with his daughter that we'll get to, he's... He doesn't disparate between both of them, basically, between a male and a female. He's not like uh, 101, who we'll get to later, who's just an absolute fucking horror of a person with a, the neck tattoo and stuff like that. But these thugs catch him. They stick a like screwdriver thing to his face and say, you owe us money, and get him to sign a declaration of giving away his physical rights, basically. And the way they get him to do that is a bloody fingerprint, mate. This is the first thing that I noticed that I kind of thought that this is a little bit of a lazy TV trope. Is licking somebody else's blood off of your finger, off of their face, just a a lazy way of showing how badass somebody is? I think it is. Yeah, it's overused for sure. Um, I'll tell you what, my first thought watching it went, oh my God, COVID! Um, and I actually went and looked up filming to see, like, was this filmed pre or post COVID? But the whole series was um, filmed over three months towards the tail end of 2020. So yeah, this was right in the middle of COVID and they're licking blood. But yeah, I think it is. It's, it's a nutcase thing to do. You have to be a maniac to lick someone else's blood. So it's a good way of showing that this guy, who's the, the head gangster or whatever you want to call him, is a maniac. Yeah, so he manages to get away, actually, I kind of asked the guy for more money, which is, again, a little bit sad. More foreshadowing here, Colin, and I've made up a term, I think, anti-foreshadowing, right? I've made it up, and I'm going to try and explain this to you, right? So Ji-hoon, his childish outlook leads him to this child's game, again, a crane game, basically. So he can't even win that, he needs help from a child, but he wins the whole thing. So that's the opposite of what happens. That he can't win this child's game, but eventually basically goes on to win Squid Game. So I've made up anti-shadowing there. Yeah, and instead of getting the help from a child, he got the help from someone very old. I think anti-shadowing is... I think we'll copyright that, mate, and hashtag it. Yeah, hashtag anti-shadowing. Yeah, you can find us on Twitter, by the way, to leave your questions, queries and theories at player456pod. He meets his door. Yeah, his daughter's pretty judgy, I think, <laughs> but I like her. Yeah, she. You, you can tell that she is living the vast majority of her life in a completely different set of circumstances to the one she has with her father. 
She's she seems to be quite well adjusted. She seems to she's not struggling for money. She seems to be quite comfortable in terms of her life and what's provided for her. And her father is a very different experience for her in terms of that. Yeah, because out the crane he wins a box and gives the daughter it as a present. The daughter's G Young, her name is. Again, if we're murdering these, we do apologise. We are Scottish, and it's really quite difficult to get Korean <laughs> um, on the ball. But yeah, he gives her that present, and again, just down his luck. It's not a nice toy. It's not a little bear or anything like that. It's a gun, but a gun lighter. So things aren't going good for this guy, man. He's just having a lot of bad luck, basically. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, as a child, I'd have been delighted with that present. But um, yeah, it's it's not the best. Um, there's a little bit more foreshadowing here, in fact, as well. The gift he gives her is wrapped up in a box. And if you look at the box, it's got a bow tied around it. And it looks exactly like the coffins they use in the Squid Game. Those coffins are so... Creepy. Creepy, man, with the big sort of pink bows on them. It's yeah. just another... When I use the word duality, I don't even know if I'm using that in the right sense, but it's the, the black and white, the yin and yang, basically. Big pink bow, but you're dead in a coffin. Yeah, it's it's quite something. I mean, we also said at the start, it's for reasons to listen to us, is because we're not TV critics and we're not wanky, but let's get wanky just for a second. <laughs> if you're going to think about that gun that's a lighter, it foreshadows the game, doesn't it? Because players are killed by a gun and then they're set on fire. I'd never even thought about that, to be honest, man, so... How much credit do we give writers at, at points? Like, are they writing these very specific foreshadowing techniques? Is that what, why they are such good writers? Or are we looking for something that's not there? Are we over-analyzing like I think people do with sometimes poems and Shakespeare, for example? You just dig too deep. Is that what we are doing right now? Because or are these guys really talented? No, I don't think that's what we're doing. I think, yeah, with poems and Shakespeare and stuff like that, then it's very easy to do. With a, with a TV show and a production to this, this level and Netflix involvement, every single thing, which is in every single scene, every little thing that's placed there is there for a reason. And I, I think it, it, it is there for a reason and it is done deliberately. And I think you have to praise um, the creator of this show especially the fact that he did it on his own. Then this isn't a this isn't a writer's room. This show. This isn't ten people sat around, um, kind of having a thought shower and trying to come up with something together. This is one guy that fought for ten years to get this made. This is this was his pride and joy. So I think he probably does deserve a bit of the kudos for bringing this together and having all these little foreshadowing bits and clever Easter eggs and stuff in there for people to discover. Yes, because there is more of it, I think, anyway, where Jihoon uh, offers his daughter a pinky promise that he will get a present next year. And I think this is, again, subconsciously trying to tell you that Jihoon's a good guy because we, we don't know when he split up with his wife, but you would think that he stayed with her for some of his daughter's life. And I think that part of the life would be when you sort of learn right from wrong and his daughter here won't give him a pinky promise because she knows she's moving away and the pinky promise thing kind of comes into it in uh, the Marbles episode about get your, your gang boo, your, your sort of best friend, people you share with, man. What a fucking episode, I can't wait to get Yeah, there. I'm not ready to speak about that yet. Really, that, really <laughs> I'm a fair bit of getting ready for that, I think. But yeah, it, it's, it's still a great example of what, what they do in this show and it's why it's so good. And what what's always cute, mate, is it giving your daughter a coke carry home? 
Um, I can't remember the last time I gave my daughter a cold carry. Um, she's she's eighteen now. I don't know if she'd thank me for it, but yeah, as as a cute thing or putting them up on your shoulders. That's always a quite thing you see in films and movies as well. Um, but yeah, it's a cute thing. He does bring her home. She's asleep on his back, and as usual, the TV shows do like to make the mothers or the ex-partners and stuff really make them seem bitchy, don't they? And they do it with this one. They, she kind of chastises them for being late. She gives them, just has a go at them, basically, and just treats them with no respect at all. You can tell she's she hates them, doesn't she? I don't know if hate is the right word. It just seems like, like you says, it's more of a... If we look at this ex-wife as a, a fully rounded person... She's clearly been let down time after time by this guy, so yeah. and it's just another like, oh come on, man! I told you I would come and get her. You didn't need to do this. You're late. I don't like bashing her too much. I mean, this uh, Jihoon's obviously pissed his money away, lost money, started businesses, lost businesses that we'll get to at some point. So yeah, I don't know if hate's the right word. I just think just like, it's the same thing. It seems like oh, this happens all the time with you. Come on, <laughs> you need to grow up a bit. Stop teaching my daughter bad habits or whatever. So I kind of don't have much qualms about the way she treated him, really, because when you think of the bigger picture, then, again, like I don't know if I'm just making stuff up, but that, that's, I know, I've got nothing against. I don't think hate is the right word. I just think annoyed, like, oh, come on, not again, basically, is what I got. Maybe she just looks at him and there's annoyance, there's regret, there's maybe a little bit of disbelief that she ever used to be with him and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, disbelief is probably a good way of saying it, like, oh, look at you, basically. Like, he obviously loves his daughter, he encourages her, encourages her to get inside and get safe, but his life's kind of falling apart, really. Now, he's 10 minutes late for the getting her home, basically, and this is when things go from bad to a little bit weird, right? He just misses the train. Do you think that's bad luck, or is there something behind the scenes that means that he, he missed it on purpose and would then sit beside this mysterious guy in the suit? I think he just missed the train because he was Bad a bit tardy. Yeah, I, I, don't, I just think, I, I don't think there is, I don't think they're controlling trains and dictating who they speak to and stuff like that. I think it, it, he just missed his train and he happened to be the person that this guy approached because he was, he, was he was a good mark, I suppose. Do you think they've been following him since he signed away his physical rights, basically, and have just waited for the right opportunity, right, he's missed that train, I'll go and engage with him now? They must have a. They must have some sort of database or list of potential candidates because there's a, a huge percentage of society that just wouldn't even entertain playing the game and talking to a stranger in the subway. And I, I, so I do think they focus their attention on certain people. How they actually make that happen, or if it's just a case of following them and making sure they're in the right place at the right time with them and stuff like that, then yes, I think he probably was on some sort of a list but I don't think he was like we need him we've got to get him I think he's just one of potentially thousands on a list that they think these are the kind of people we want yeah so this guy in the show he doesn't get a name um, he's played by a guy called Gong Yu he approaches him in the subway basically Ji Hoon thinks he's going to preach to him about Jesus because he's in a suit and he says I'm a Buddhist basically away you go but the guy opens his briefcase turns of money in there and basically plays a game called Doc G or offers Jihoon the chance to play it, which is basically in Scotland and in Britain. It's similar to a game called Pogs, where you would flip them over basically with a slammer, and if you flipped it over, you won. 
Did Pogs jump to your mind straight away here with the the game dot G? Yeah, because I was Pogs daft. I had the I had the one where you could, the set where you could create your own Pogs. Yeah, they were always um, I'll admit looked down upon. <laughs> like in in school, you'd be like, you've got your own fake Pogs or make a Pog. I want to win real Pogs. I had the Pog board game. There was an actual board game that came out as well. Yeah. It shone bright and hard, really fast. Pogs, man, like it was only about for a couple of years at the most. It was it was the fidget spinner of its time. But, I mean, this probably won't surprise you, but it'll surprise you the new listeners that don't know me. I did have pogs with my face on them as a youngster. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I used to draw <laughs> pogs. I was quite I was quite arty as a youngster, and I used to draw pogs every now and again. I got quite good at it and just copying the pogs basically. But this game is a, a red and a blue envelope. You lie on the, the ground. You hit it with your envelope, and if you flip it over. You've got the chance to win one hundred thousand won, basically, which is around about sixty quid. He doesn't, but and he can't flip it over, and he kind of says to the guy, "Look, I've got no money." And this is when the, I suppose this is a sort of judging period for the runners of this game. As will this guy get slapped about the face to keep gambling? Basically, will he take that indignity to keep going? And I think that's a bit of a test. Yeah, so he's getting slapped about the face because he's not very good at the game at the start, anyway. Yeah, and it's, I think you're right. It's, it's, this is a this is a technique I think they're using to find out just how desperate these people are, how open they are to doing something that might seem a little bit strange, getting slapped in a train station by a stranger to win money, and it's it's all part of their their deep dive into somebody's character to find out if they're a suitable candidate, isn't it? And our man is because he takes slap after slap after slap. Um, I'm not sure how many slaps I'd be taking to win sixty quid, but. I don't know, so it depends how confident I suppose you would feel, Jack, isn't it, about your ability to flick that envelope over? Because in theory it seems easy and it's 60 quid, which isn't going to change your life, but it's a, it's a decent night in the pub, 60 quid, isn't it, for the sake of throwing an envelope? Yes, but if you think about it, they are in a train station where it is a very flat surface. And if you think back to your pog playing days, can you imagine trying to flick a single pog with a slammer on such a flat surface? Because a lot of the time it would would have been in the playground, but it's slightly uneven. Yeah. Getting it to flip over, even playing the board game, was much harder than just out in the playground, basically. Yeah, that's just the, they've got the advantage there as well, haven't they? Yeah, the soundtrack's really interesting here because it's really, it's key, obviously, and it's already planted itself in your head at this point. You kind of know when things are getting dodgy during Squid Game because of this really distinct soundtrack, man. I thought it was fantastic. It is good, yeah, I liked it a lot, and it's it is amazing what music can do to build up suspense, to build up atmosphere, to completely help you make an opinion on a situation just by a bit of music. It's it's amazing and it's really good, and the the idea that someone who's someone's job, Jack, right, is to find a bit of music that fits this and bring it all together. That's a skill and a half. So kudos to them as well. Questions, queries, theories. I did ask people on Twitter to send in their questions, queries and theories and a couple of people have been in contact. Uh, they have, yeah. Um, the, the the first one, similar to what I've just asked yourself actually, funnily enough, uh, from Weir Bear, uh, Bear, sorry. That Pogs game that got it all started, how much would you be needing to win to take one of those slaps? I think 50 quid's a not bad offer. I think that's maybe why they've offered that amount of money, like for a slap to the face. 
like I'm not a degenerate gambler, but fifty quid's a like you said, a decent amount of money. Like it is a decent amount of money. I I, I think I, I probably would give it a go, right? If somebody caught to me and said, "Here's a game, play it once. If you win, you get fifty quid. If you don't, I'll give you a slap in the face." Me and you've got quite big beards. We've got a wee bit of padding in the old slapping game, which helps. But I'm not sure after the first attempt and how bad and how hard it seemed to be to do it. I'd be keen to keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. Yeah, I think like like we mentioned, it's more of a a test of how desperate these people are. So after that game, he gets given the a card basically, chance to make more money, which is obviously very very enticing. One of the other theories uh, that gets sent in is from the She Will Rock You podcast, which is quite good. You should go give that a listen. My theory is that the officers once all played the games. Now, this is jumping forward a little bit. There are staff members, officers, basically, that work for the game. It's probably not the most mind-blowing theory, but there are other theories kicking about, calling about how you might become either a staff member or a game player. Uh, yeah, there are. I mean, there's the theory that, that jumps out for me is the fact that when you, when you jump forward to the opening game of the Squids game, and it shows you a video, actually, of all the competitors. It's just a, a quick run-through as part of the kind of induction process for the contestants. It shows you them all in the station or wherever playing this game with the gentleman. And everybody that's there all picked the, the blue card. Um, every single person. So the other theory then that comes from that is that the people that didn't pick the blue card get recruited to work as the officers, which I think is quite interesting. I think it's a solid solid theory, it's one of the most popular ones yeah, if you pick the, the red envelope you get I think forced to be a guard because they've not got a good job oh no, yes, they they need to mob people, like you, you need to be in a serious situation, unless you were a psychopath to do that, so I think that's a solid theory, I do think if you pick the, the red you're in inverted commas, in luck um, some of the staff members get murdered as well if they they do seem desperate at times, and we'll get to that in future episodes. So yeah, I think it's a solid theory, man. They're they're almost um, just foot soldiers, aren't they? They're just disposable stormtroopers, almost. They're just they are doing a job, and they're all very much replaceable. Um, I do have a little bit of another theory about the officers, if you don't mind, and it's a real it's a it's a real life theory I want to give you about them. I think the officers in two weeks' time, when it gets to Halloween, Jack, will be the most popular Halloween costume around. Everybody dressed up as Squid Game at Halloween. Uh, mostly officers, but I think you'll see some people as contestants as well. No, I think the officers, because the officers are really fucking cool. I think, man, they <laughs> look amazing. I tell you what, we'll, we'll wrap up. We'll wrap this up at the moment, Colin, and we'll come back with you with um, part two of Red Light, Green Light soon. So keep your ears open and press that follow button, basically, if you've enjoyed our conversations about the best TV show I have seen since the, I'm going to say it, since The Sopranos. Colin, cheers for joining us, mate. Yeah, thanks, mate. I really enjoyed it too. I look forward to uh, picking up part two.